Welcome to the Fiddleman and Company podcast, where we sit down with startup founders, entrepreneurs, and trailblazers, not only to learn the ins and outs of their founding journeys, but also to understand what it takes to successfully scale a company. I'm your host, Jeffrey Fiddleman, and without further ado, let's jump right into the show. So, Caleb, CEO of Killphonic, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Um, before we begin, you know, just want to give you the mic, introduce yourself, introduce your company. What do you guys do? And then we'll kick it off from there. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, Kilphonic and Kilphonic Rights are the companies that I head and both work in the music space. Kilphonic Rights specifically is a music rights and royalty collection service. We have, you know, been working hard to automate a lot of the processes of, of royalty collections and, and licensing and trying to move on more into the online space for that and build like a nice tech portal for everything to be easy and uh, simple for mostly independent, but also labels and stuff, but uh, mostly independent artists to collect their royalties. Cool. So this isn't in a business that you just wake up one morning doing construction and think I'm going to get into music royalties, right? So tell us a little bit about your background and and I guess what was your aha moment creating Killphonic? Yeah, I was originally like an artist and producer myself. I was a record producer for over 20 years. I started at Sony. I worked on a lot of like I worked on a team actually called the Sony Special Products team in the early 2000s. So we did Michael Jackson records and Jennifer Lopez records and stuff like that. And, you know, I moved from that space in the pop world into the independent scene because I was living in New York at the time. And Brooklyn was like the thing in the mid 2000s. Every band and every artist was coming out of Brooklyn. So I switched and did a lot of indie rock production for many years. And then finally moved out to LA with a lot of the music scene and in, in you know, the mid 2010s. And once I got here, you know, I started to become a little more involved in the business side of music. And, and uh, you know, I think I had several aha moments, but I think that, you know, I switched over to managing artists for a little while. And after managing for a few years and, and seeing the lack of options really for rights collections and, and royalty collections that we started doing it ourselves. And, and I think that we had some success doing it ourselves as a small management company that we decided to open up our resources to other artists. And it just kind of snowballed from there. We, uh, you know, we kind of, I don't want to say accidentally built a music royalty collection service, but in a way we kind of just, uh, there wasn't as much of a plan to start as it just was, you know, the natural course of my career. So traditionally a pretty manual type of business. How are you, how are you applying tech to it? Yeah. So it is still a very manual thing. It's like a lot of emails go out, especially when there's conflicting data and stuff like that, you know, to resolve conflicts, it's still a pretty manual process, which is actually given, which is given reason to a lot of companies to kind of give up on that. But we identified and another company that one of our competitors identified that resolving those conflicts can actually increase your revenue, like 40 to even hundred percent. So you know, we've been trying to build auditing systems for our catalog. I mean, generally, if your catalog is collecting royalties, you know, even if it's micro pennies, you'll see things on statements every day, every month. So, or every quarter, depending on the, on the organization you're collecting from. But, you know, we create, we create systems on our, in our, in our portal and on our backend to try and audit these things to see if there's missing royalties. And if there are, then it automatically 
update somebody. I mean, there still has to be because it's the system there is an, a manual email reach out. But you know, some of the automation we're trying to do is is auto registration with some companies. Like there are like APIs with certain organizations around the world that you can connect into. There's a lot of things like DDEX and CWR, which are you know automated systems for registration. So <clears throat> at this point, we're you know we're trying to make those systems accessible to independent artists, which has been the problem for so long. Yeah. So not not a not an easy task to say the least. Sounds like your plate is full. How how do you manage that? How do you manage time? How do you manage, you know, the split between the tech side of things and going out and signing artists, labels and everyone in between? Yeah, I mean, we have built a pretty robust team now. I think it, it you know, it was an all hands on deck thing in the beginning. I think there was almost no time management when the when the founders and I got together and made this an official, you know, project we were working on. It was kind of like whoever had time would take it. You know, if there was a client that needed to be reached out to, or if there was an organization that needs to have a meeting, like whoever was available would take it. Now we do have proper administration team. We do have a proper tech dev team. We have, you know, a proper A&R team. So our time is is split between our different units to to go out and, and accomplish everything we need to. And just for the cherry on top, you're now fundraising too. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so I say that because I think I told you, or if I hadn't, I always say that fundraising is a full-time job in and of itself. Yeah. So okay. how... How, how are you thinking about, I don't want to say how are you thinking about going out to do fundraising, but how are you thinking about, you know, what the vision is for the company the next two years, the next three years? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had this conversation a bunch. I, I think it's funny. I was reading some of the questions that you sent over of like, you know, what I've learned as a founder and, and you know, I, I do see us pivoting a bit over the next two years. I think we're still trying to find the real need and the want, I mean, of the music industry. You know, I think that it's funny, like musicians are, and artists are funny people. They they talk a lot about wanting a different thing and, and changing and stuff like that. But ultimately, they're very, you know, there's a lot of Luddites in the music business. They They don't really like to accept new technologies, new changes. So I do think over the next year, next two years, we're really trying to focus on changing people's minds about how the industry can work. It's a huge uphill battle, but you know, I you know, I see artists all the time. They're like, we love to be independent. And then two months later, I see they signed to Capitol Records, which is literally the oldest record label in the United States, and with like, you know, artists who are still trapped in deals from like the 60s and 70s in those in those contracts. So, you know, I think we need to to navigate and 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 pivot our expectations or, or, you know, lower some of our expectations for what the industry will like really let us push them towards. And then, you know, if we can cross that or, you know, you know, cross that path or whatever it is, then, then we do hope to build some technology that can really change things and, and help people out with, you know, automating systems and things like that. Since bringing your first couple of clients on, maybe getting rid of those early bugs, What's been the biggest lesson of can be from a tech perspective, can be from operations, finance, whatever. Um, yeah, what do you take away as the biggest lesson? It's funny. I mean, yeah, you know, the music business, I even like doing this interview, you know, talking about the business of music. It's it's really funny to me because I have so many friends I and mean, my brothers and works for a huge finance company. And the music business is so weird and 
And really the, the lesson I've learned throughout the years is because, you know, I've always kind of been a founder. Like I had production companies when I was a producer and stuff like that. The thing that you learn, and I, and I know this is, you know, I've taken business classes and learned this as well, but the motivation for people is not money. I think that a lot of people get into business thinking that if they give them a, give a product that is going to create more revenue or, you know, or more wealth for their clients that they're going to accept it. And honestly, it's just, it's not, especially music, not the motivator for most artists, you know, then people get into music because they didn't want to go into banking or something like that. So, you know, they're looking for things that, make them feel better. Honestly, you know, artists are sensitive people and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to be like, Hey, here, here, we have a platform that's going to collect all of your royalties. Cause you know, I tell people it's just not sexy in the music business. People want to be on tour with big artists. They want to get on playlists and have millions of followers on Instagram. And, you know, nobody's really like, Oh, cool. I can get all my royalties. Like, great. That's, you know, it's, it's just not fun for people, I guess is the real ultimate word. So that's been the hardest thing to overcome and the biggest lesson learned. Yeah, I really, I mean, my background is way on the other side where money was definitely the motivator for, for most decisions made. <laughs> so, so it's, it's interesting. I mean, look, I'm being a bit facetious. I think everyone has other drives and goals and wants and yeah. dreams aside from money. And whoever says money, there's some deeper meaning behind that. Perhaps it's freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, but on an artist basis, when you say they want to feel good, and, and I definitely think that any business owner wants to own a business to create an environment that they want to be in, that they feel good in being in. So an artist doing that, how, you know, how are you, other than the name, other than the website, and an awesome song on your site, <laughs> how are you making Killphonic sexy to the artists? It's tough. That's a tough question. I mean, I think that we try to we try to use words like empowerment. I mean, that's in our sales pitch a lot. Like we're trying to empower artists and, you know, back to the I mean, money is just another metric, really. It's, you know, how much money you make is is a metric that you can judge yourself and your success on. But I think you're right. Ultimately, there's something behind the money and a lot of it is freedom and, and power. So that's kind of what we're trying to make sexy for artists is this idea that you can move freely, which is funny. It goes back to what I was saying before. Like, there's such this idea that being an entrepreneur in music is is so cool. Like, you're an independent artist. You run your own business. You have your own small business. The you know, the the sky's the limit kind of thing. And then, but then they don't really want to focus on things like revenues for their songs and things like that. So, I think we're trying to give people access to or an option for you know, actually being empowered to have that entrepreneur spiritship in the, in the music space so that, you know, you can have the freedom to do the things you want, make the art you want, you know, make the decisions you want, have control. Like that is, that is still something that people really want in the music space. So, right. So, so it sounds like artists have really two, two ish options, right? One, go to a label and basically be managed A to Z label or stay independent and essentially create a small business around themselves that will do what a label often does or parts of what a label often does. I mean, you can, you can actually kind of do both. That's, that's kind of what we're saying too, is that, you know, you can have the option to say, sign your masters to a label, but hold on to your publishing. You can, you know, have the option to self-manage and, and enter a publishing deal, but put your own releases out through a distributor. Like we want people to be flexible 
because there are a lot of different copyrights and a lot of different parts there's you know touring and merchandise and all those things too that you know we want people to be able to have the options to segregate them or you know you know make their business modular in a way where they can have different business units and all that stuff so we just want to be a part of that on the publishing side to help people make those choices so you're you're at a point now where I think last time we spoke, I asked we were talking about fundraising and and you told me that you guys were growing pretty quickly. And one of my questions was, well, why why even raise capital now? And and I think it's it's not even timely now, but probably has always been. How do you think about, you know what, now's the time to raise capital. Here's where I want to put it. Here's what I want to do with the business when you may or may not necessarily air quotes here, but need the capital versus just want to bring it in and, and grow. Well, it's funny actually how similar it is to, you know, an artist's career too. Like that's, I tell artists lots of times, you know, when I was managing that, you know, you should sign to a major label when you're a major artist. Those labels are are really built to support major artists, like a Beyonce or an Eminem or something like that. They do get a lot out of a major label. They have access to radio and, and, you know, huge marketing and co-sponsorships and, and, and brand sponsorships. I mean, like that are kind of inaccessible on an independent level, just huge budgets, things like that. So I think as a company, we are kind of at that point too, where we've been growing really fast and, and, and pretty big for the last two years now. And we're kind of ready to take the next step. So it's not necessarily that we need it now. We could keep growing as we want. But to, for us to go big, we need that injection of capital that a label can offer an artist that already has a fan base, already has a tour history, like those kinds of things. So we have all the growth metrics and numbers and, and revenues. And we want to go big and build some big systems that can really change things. So I think that's why we're looking for capital at this point, you know, it's partially to to increase our marketing and our and our footprint, but also just you know I think our biggest or second biggest ask is tech development and our fundraising. So again, these are like you know numbers and the millions that we want to raise so that we can actually build something big. And, and that's why I feel like it's not so much that we need it, but that's the point we're at, and that's the next step for us. Makes sense. So so global expanding footprint. I already let it slip. Global footprint. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's next and, and what's next even after that? How do you think about going global? How do you think about, you know, we, we live in such a digital world at this point where whether it's Spotify or SoundCloud or Tidal or so many different music streaming, Apple Music streaming apps that kind of bring together an already global feeding probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of artists into it. How do you think about expanding your platform of royalty collections and distribution and management. It's funny, actually, when we started the company, we really did want to focus on US-based artists. And, and you know, one of the things that was kind of inaccessible to US-based artists was a specific royalty internationally called a mechanical royalty that you really needed a publishing administrator to get. So, you know, we started out with this idea that you know, we'd help U.S. artists kind of go international. But then we quickly realized that the U.S. landscape for music publishing is the most confusing and most complicated, most convoluted. So we can help international artists just as much navigate the landscape here being a U.S.-based company and, you know, myself being a U.S. songwriter and artist. So I almost feel like we're even more helpful now for international artists 
to navigate here in the US. So I think our next steps and plans are to kind of start putting our, I don't know, to be cheesy, but boots on the ground in other countries so that, you know, we can meet artists and, and talk to them and educate them on what's going on here and how they could benefit from having a US-based publishing administrator. And yeah, especially countries like, you know, in South America, Latin America, these are hugely or quickly, rapidly growing markets that have just been traditionally underserviced by the industry. So getting it like Mexico City is like the largest streaming city in the world on Spotify. And, you know, they have infrastructure there, but I don't think they necessarily have like the tech infrastructure that we could bring them. So I think next step is kind of going to Latin America. You know, there's some there's some traditionally hard countries to negotiate with, like Australia and Japan are two of them that are, have been very insular for years. We've already opened offices in both those territories. So, you know, we're trying to kind of bring, actually, we're kind of trying to bring the U.S. into the fold. A lot of these countries, there's something called the Rome Accord that was entered into in the 60s by uh, most countries in the world, except for the U.S. We already, a lobbies prevented us from entering the Rome Accord. So there's a lot of stuff that's been you know, going between countries in Europe and, and South America and, and Central America and Asia and stuff that the U.S. hasn't been a part of. So we just want to get out there and kind of like rejoin the global landscape and, and bring those artists into into our world and, you know, start to, to profit both ways. So that's that's actually super interesting. Where would you place the U.S., not entertainment, but specifically music? or music entertainment, however you would cat industry, how would you place the U.S. market in comparison with other, like, other markets? What are top five? What are top three? So as a country, the U.S. is by far the biggest market in the world. Like I said, Mexico City is a, as a city is the largest market, but as a country, the U.S. is absolutely number one around the world. Every artist is trying to break in the U.S. It's why... You know, you'll hear bands from France and stuff like singing in English because they just can't exclude the U.S. market. And, you know, we've been cultural, you know, leaders around the globe for, for years. I mean, since Hollywood and stuff was created. So, you know, we, we are number one for sure. But, you know, I think there are some other important territories that are growing. I mean, Germany has always been a huge market for music. Sweden, you know, Latin America as a whole is is a huge market i mean i think that's probably one of the biggest markets if you if you can count all the countries together and then obviously there's like k-pop and j-pop in japan and korea so you know we it's funny we we do what makes a market big like how do you measure market size yeah i I think i'm just going off of revenues i'm i'm pretty sure i don't have all numbers but the u.s has the largest revenue in, in music i mean our touring is huge here like countries and that's one of the biggest problems that Latin America has is touring is not as big of a thing. You know, in Mexico, you can't really like hop in a tour van and drive around the country. It's just not possible. And then going from country to country throughout Latin America is all fly dates. It's just the touring market in the U.S. is really big. I mean, Europe is too, just because the countries are small and so close together. But same with Asia. I mean, Japan is literally on an island. So to get to Korea or, or China, you have to fly. So, um, yeah, I think our revenues on touring, our revenues on streaming, I mean, our population obviously is is quite big compared to any other single country on the, around the world. So, except for maybe China or India, <clears throat> they just don't have as robust of entertainment systems that we have here. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's, I'd be curious if, in my mind, I think maybe just because we 
are such a consumer driven market that we have maybe more cities, more people to go to concerts, to go within one country. Whereas you look at Europe in total, or, you know, there's, there's a meme online when you talk, when you think about, um, bands touring that they won't go to South America, they'll start right. in the U S and like go all through the city, maybe hit a city or two in Europe, nothing else than something in Japan and then nothing else back to like California. So that's like the market of touring that's yeah, been yeah. Joe for a while. I mean, that's true. That's definitely it. I think kind of where I was going, I kind of lost my train of thought before, but what I was trying to get to was, I think you were asking about the market in America and, and we are like a huge exporter of culture too. I mean, if you look at the music of Japan, you know, J-pop and K-pop, it is very based on U.S. pop music. I mean, it's literally a lot of U.S. songwriters and producers are sending music and, and songs over to Japan for, for Japanese and Korean artists to, to record. We've always been an exporter, you know, to Germany and to, you know, the UK is a big part of it too, obviously, but the English speaking countries have always been huge exporters of entertainment around the world. So, I mean, even in India now, you see like, you know, their music scene was kind of off, off of their Bollywood scene, but now there are a lot of like singer songwriter, like kind of folky Indian artists and things like that. You know, I see that all the time. I mean, even Latin America, Latin America has their own version of folk and traditional, but yeah, I think as as a market, the U.S. is also not only a big consumer, but a huge exporter of, of music mm-hmm. and culture. And okay, so look, it sounds, not it sounds like, but I, I know this and, and I'll make sure to support this to anyone listening that you you know your stuff. And oftentimes when someone that really knows what they're talking about introduce this idea to others who maybe don't, even though they're in industry, it can be super frustrating. And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs in their respective fields feel the same way. That's why they started a business. They're going into an industry and just there's a, there's a disconnect, which is why the industry or the institutions are what they are and why startups exist, basically. So what would you say, you know, has been your absolutely most frustrating moment or experience in building this company and then also rewarding, but let's start off with frustrating. Right, first. Right. Well, I think it's funny. Like I have, I had a mentor in, in this guy named Jeff price who started TuneCore. for anyone who's somewhat familiar with the music landscape. And he's, he's very similar. He's, he knows, he knows the landscape of the music business probably better than anyone else. He's just an unbelievable dude. who has been working for many years in it. And you know, I think him and I both, he gets a lot of, of backlash too. And I, and I feel this sometimes of being kind of preachy when you're like, this is why this is happening and this is what needs to change. And, and, you know, the most frustrating thing I did a, another podcast a few weeks ago with a, with a music company and or music organization and same kind of thing. Like they asked me what my biggest hurdle was and it's education. It's just like, it is really frustrating to be that person who has a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge about how the music industry works and running up against people who just kind of don't know and you know fallen into just ideas that are kind of outdated and and you know there's always kind of a joke i think i saw a comedian one time that was you know said that he thought that people or he thought that there was like a trap door somewhere that you had to open up and then then they'd let you in and you'd be successful and you know, I talk about that all the time. I think most musicians still feel like there's some trap door they have to find and they need the right manager or the right label or, or whatever it is to open that door for them and they'll just be successful. And And I think it's really hard for me to, to convince people or really frustrating for me to convince people that it is a slow build and, and 
And honestly, it's true if you if you build slow or if you move fast, you'll if you go up fast, you'll come down fast, whatever the old adage is. But yeah, like I've been trying really hard to convince people to to retain their rights to not, you know, enter into bad deals. And and I just see time and time again they're making the same bad decisions that they've made for years. And that's super frustrating. On the rewarding side, I mean. I don't know. Every time there's a little win, it, it's it's a huge reward. So every time I find a, I, you know, we're partners with Sumerian Records and, you know, signing them was just, you know, it came from some personal relationships, but, you know, just to see them and have be seen by them as somebody who could succeed in the space that's similar to, you know, our other competitors was just a massive win for us. I, uh, I don't have any other questions, Caleb. It was really, really, really good having you. Thank you so much for your time joining us. To anyone out there, Killphonic, they are raising capital. They are awesome people serving independent artists and helping them get paid. Thank you for listening to the Fiddleman & Company podcast. If you're interested in how we can help take your business to the next level, please visit us at www.fiddlemanco.com. And be sure to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast from whatever channel you're tuning in from.